Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Gerard Wood back to the show. Gerard is the author of Simplifying Mining Maintenance, the managing director of Bluefield Asset Management, and the host of the Bluefield 30 in 30 podcast. We discuss how we should go about simplifying reliability, culture change, and making sure the maintenance basics are done correctly. A few of you have reached out asking where I'll be next year in terms of conferences. I don't have anything scheduled right now, but I'm hoping to hit the SMRP conference, the Main Train conference, and Ultrasound World. If there are any other events that you'd like to hear me at or see me at, definitely shoot me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com, and I'll see if I can make those happen. Please continue sharing the show with your colleagues in heavy industry. It's been growing recently and I really appreciate it. I hope you keep enjoying the content. I'm trying to I'm trying to bring you some great content every week. So I hope you guys are are continuing to enjoy it. We're going to start doing some multi-way podcasts, so there should be some fun discussions coming up. Lastly, if there are any topics, guests you'd like to hear from, questions you want answered, or if you'd like to appear on the podcast, just send me an email, robsterliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get into the interview with Gerard Wood. Hey guys, we're back and we're back and Gerard Wood is joining me back on the program. Gerard, how are you? Good. Thanks, Rob. Yourself? I'm doing quite well, and for people listening, if they missed it out, they got to go back into the archives, and it was about a year ago, I think, we recorded a podcast with your book, Simplifying Mining Maintenance, and I don't know why it took us another year to have another one, but I guess we both got a little busy, but you mentioned at the end of that show that you wanted to talk about simplifying reliability, so first off, the book. Can you give people, if they missed the first podcast, can you give people an intro to the book and where they can find it? Yeah, thanks, Rob. So, yeah, you can find the, the, the book at simplifyingminingmaintenance.com or it's also on Amazon. Um, and I, I suppose the, the, the reason I wrote the book was really to, to share thoughts on how to get the basics of um, maintenance right. Um, and you know, and the, the cultural side of it, the people side of it, right? And um, yeah, and, and I, I suppose that I find that when you work on that cultural side, you work on the people side, um, running maintenance becomes simpler because you don't have to have complicated processes and that people know what they're doing, people do things correctly, all of those sort of things. It, it, it makes the, the management of maintenance much, much simpler. And I think that that's one thing that people get a little bit confused is we learn all these topics, you know, predictive maintenance, RCM, root cause analysis, and we sort of forget that the foundation of what we're building on is good maintenance. Like, what? how do you feel about that? 
Yeah, I, I think that um, you know all of those theories, RCM, are really important that you understand them. They give you a basis for thinking, but uh, in the end, it's not about you know following a little procedure and getting everyone to do you know to think the same way. Everyone's got their own ways of thinking about how maintenance is run, but the fundamentals of going out, looking at a machine. Uh, you can see when it's in good condition or not, if it's got leaks all over it and all those sort of things, addressing that first, getting the machine back to a condition that you know, looks reliable uh, is the place to start. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that that going out and seeing, like just was editing Joe Kuhn's podcast, which is will be up before this one, but it was something that he mentioned a lot, which was, if you're a reliability person, for his perspective, if you're a plant manager, you have to still make it a habit to go out and see what's going on at your plant and walk around and really talk to the guys. Have oh, you seen, yeah, have you seen that kind of thought change through the years or especially now with, with all the IAOT stuff? Like, have you seen people less willing to go out to the shop floor? Um, I'm not sure if it's less willing. I think it's just they become focused on uh, all the things inside the computer, you know, focused on the metrics that are set up in the CWMS and, and all of those sort of things. But when we go and do a review of a site, we don't get into the schedule compliance and all these metrics around whether work orders were opened and closed. We just go out and have a look at the machines, you know, get down on a, on a scheduled maintenance event and um, be there at the start of that scheduled maintenance event. And if everything is there and the people are there and they've got all the parts and tools, you know the planning process is right, okay? So if that's not happening, no matter what the KPIs say, there's something wrong with the planning process. So just getting out on the job, from my perspective, you you can see if things are going right or not. And you know, looking at the machines... Like I say, if there's dirt build up, uh, there's leaks everywhere, you're really not managing that machine in a, in a proactive way. Yeah, and it's something that I think people get a little bit crazy about. Like uh, I heard recently that some people wanted to do, they call it dynamic scheduling, but essentially what that would do is, let's say we were you know, installing a pump they would know, they would say like, well, Rob's time for installing this pump is four hours, but Gerard can do it in three hours because he's more experienced. And they would measure that and track that back. And to me that when I heard about it, first off, it, it kind of pushed back on me because like, I, I understand that you can make that measurement. Now, even if we installed the same pump like let's say I installed the same pump twice and there were two redundant pumps that were next to each other. It may take me longer to do one than the other, not necessarily because we didn't have the parts or we didn't have the equipment just because, you know, maybe the, it was seated differently or the piping was off a bit or whatever the reason is. And so it, it, it took this, yeah, it, it just yeah. took a little bit it took a little bit too much, I thought. And I thought that like, you're kind of missing the point of, of that metric or you're missing the point of using the IIoT. It's not to like become an assembly line of maintenance. It's it's really to measure and see what are the huge mistakes that we're making and can we close those gaps? 
Yeah, that's right. If any of those metrics, you know, it's about using them to um, help yourself improve, you know, looking at, okay, here's an opportunity. Where's the next opportunity for improvement? Uh, you know, th- these jobs, what can we do to improve the procedure for that particular job? make it shorter in, in duration, less man hours, better tooling, all those sort of things. It's not about holding people accountable for those metrics in my mind. It's a it's a continuous improvement tool. Absolutely. Now, Gerard, last time, you know, you mentioned that you wanted to get into simplifying reliability. So let's let's get it off. Like like what what is too complicated about reliability? Uh, look, I suppose uh, in in my mind, what I've seen is not so much that reliability is complicated, but it's the way that we uh, are teaching the, the younger generation. You know, like we, we jump into doing root cause analysis with which whatever method you use, five whys or, um, you know, any other uh, reliable, uh, root cause analysis process. Um Yet we haven't gone back and, and thought, hang on a minute, um, are we doing the current maintenance program correctly? And and I, I also see that the reliability function is being disconnected from maintenance execution, right? supervisors and tradies um, like doing the work. And, and many, many years ago, I was around before we had reliabilities, in, at least in the mining, in, uh, reliability engineers, at least in the mining industry. And, um, you know, reliability, if machines broke down, that was a responsibility of the supervisor, the tradies, to work out what was going on there and stop it. Um, and, you know, when we started introducing reliability engineers, that helped us because uh, we got a little bit more uh, engineering knowledge and, and the decisions were better. But then it's gone too far one way where there's all these reliability engineers and now the tradies and the supervisors they're not really they don't see it as their responsibility at some places you know so there's a breakdown and the the tradies and the supervisors they're like oh yeah reliability guys will stop that from happening and they forget all about it they're not focused on it um so the, the i see the reliability engineers coming down to do their root cause analysis they really don't have the data they talk to the guys they can't remember what happened. They don't keep any evidence. Um, so they end up doing these root cause analysis that really aren't achieving um, a reliability improvement of, of the machine or the fleet or the plant or whatever it is. So you see reliability engineers working all day long, keep themselves really busy. And the meantime between failure of that fleet or that plant, it's not changing. <laughs> We're always bu- busy, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know, in the end, if if we've got um, people working uh, and we're not getting the improvement that we expect, then we've got to question it, right? And this is this is where I started thinking about this some years ago, where I, I've been out and trained people in five wires and um, different uh, RCA processes and things like that, and then I go back out to the businesses and I see that. Uh, hang on a minute, what's going on here? They're, they're doing the processes, they're following them as they should be, but the reliability of the machines aren't improving. So what, what's what's causing that? And um, when I sort of looked into it over some years, I realised that, hang on a minute, it's it's the fact that um, 
they're, they're missing the basics, which is back on the execution side. And, you know, if, if they just got those basics managed correctly, half the problems they're seeing in, in terms of unreliability wouldn't even be there. Yeah, I, I kind of sit there on the same kind of boat as you with that. And I think that for me, it's if you're operating your equipment correct, like first off, if you buy the right equipment in the first place for that operation, like you're not buying something, like what you'll see, I mean, you've seen it, I'm sure a million times in mining is they'll buy a 300 ton truck and then they'll put 360 tons in it. And then they'll wonder why they have frame cracks. And it's like, that's the first thing buy buy the right equipment for what you're trying to do the second thing is operate that equipment correctly and then the third thing is maintain it correctly and if you do all those three things a lot of your problems are going to go away yeah uh, you know that absolutely rob i agree with that but um i think the majority of the problem um and i'm generalizing here right there's really good sites in mining and um but generally speaking, the problem is that we don't get the basics right around maintenance. So, uh, and I'll give you an example actually uh, around what I'm talking about um, and why I started thinking about this some years ago. Um, we had a, I was at a site as the maintenance manager. I just arrived there and prior to me arriving, we had a dozer track that failed. So the pin wore out and the, the track split apart in service. So the reliability engineer had done a, an RCA as he'd been trained to do. He had, you know, cross-functional team in there, um, went through the, the process of root cause analysis and um, out, the output of that was like 15 improvement actions and about <laughs> six, six of them were mine, right, as the maintenance manager. And, and some of these improvement actions like redesign things and uh, retrain people, and I'm like, wait, 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 hang on a minute. Um, I'll call him Dave. It wasn't Dave, but I'll just call him Dave. <laughs> I said, well, hang on a minute, Protect Dave. the innocent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hang on a minute, Dave. What, what's the failure mode here that we're, we're, we've got? And he said, well, the failure mode is that the, the pin got hot and wore out. Okay. So do we have in our current maintenance program a – task to manage that failure mode and he goes well that's a good question he said i don't know and he went away he came back two days later he said yep we do i said what is it he said it's hot pin checks and i said what's been going on with them he said well they were doing them but the the guy who was doing them realized no one was reading them so he stopped doing it i said so what have we got to do just to to stop this failure mode from coming from exhibiting as a breakdown again. He said, we just got to do the hot pin checks properly. I said, right, let's just go get that done. And that just took away like 15 actions that were going to keep people busy and complicate everyone's lives just by getting our hot pin checks done properly first. You know what I mean? Uh, That's a great story. And, And I think it happens more often than we think. Like I, I've been to a lot of sites where the mechanics, well, you you see the trend, right? Like you see the feedback on work orders go from really good and then eventually it becomes just like complete or done, finished, okay. 
like how do you how do you recommend keeping that culture alive like keeping those comments being really good and really feeding that back to the shop floor and getting getting stuff done yeah look in my mind it all you know how do you get the culture right that that's the question i suppose how do you get the culture around reliability right and um in in mining we we try and develop safety cultures by having daily and weekly safety discussions and, and keeping it live and keeping it relevant. So reliability is the same thing. And, and what we've implemented with um, our clients is, is um, exactly that, implementing a, a daily discussion around um, maintenance quality, um, breakdowns that we've had, you know, getting people talking about that and, and making sure it's important and, and allowing people to talk about mistakes, you know, and it's okay to talk about mistakes in, in a team. Um, and by understanding the mistakes, everyone can learn from that and, and also talk about the things that went well. You know, we did a great job and uh, we've we've prevented this breakdown because we found this thing, talking about some of those, those good things as well. And um, so that's where the culture starts, you know, in my mind is that, that daily discussion, weekly discussion at, at all levels. Um, and in my mind, the reliability engineer interacting with the, the front line is, is essential. Getting out there and being part of those discussions and, and talking with those guys, not just um, you know, spending too long in the office and, and never getting to know the guys who are doing the work. And, and I, I must say too, I must say too, Rob, if we go back, you know, around simplifying reliability, what I'm talking about is not about um, design of equipment or anything like that. I'm talking about reliability improvement in an operating mine or, or an operating business. You know, it's it's that that frontline stuff. We're not here. We're not here redesigning things. I'm not talking about simplifying that process. I'm, I'm talking about that simplifying the reliability improvement process of an operating business. Yeah, absolutely. That's. We'll get into the design process later, or maybe we'll have Fred back on to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not me. I'm I'm not a, a guy in the design process. So that's where the the deep reliability theories need to be used. <laughs> yeah. So so I guess you know my next question around that is with root cause analysis, or or when we're trying to kind of simplify that type of thing like with the hot pin checks like what are we missing in that process where like like it should have been obvious right like shouldn't the hot pin check been an obvious thing to look at yeah sure it, sh it should have been obvious um but uh for some reason like that's not an isolated example i've seen heaps of these examples in fact i saw one where a, uh, like a, a wire rope failed after about 18 months and it was supposed to last two years and the failure mode was, you know, the, the wires broke in one strand and then the strand broke. And when they did the RCA, they found that, that the, the breaking wires had been picked up twice <laughs> in, a, in that 18-month period and noted on the maintenance sheets. But no one did anything about it. And then it failed. And then in their actions from this RCA, it was all about redesigning this system. And I'm like, hang on a minute. There's a failure mode 
which is broken wires. We picked it up twice. We didn't action it. Let's just get that working first, you know, let, before we start redesigning the ho whole function of this of this device. And it went down a path that, you know, they didn't even address the failure mode in the end. So it, in my mind, it's about understanding what that failure mode is. The first thing is to understand what the failure mode is. Why did this thing fail? And the guys on the shop floor, they see it. They're, they're there, right? They know the exact reason it failed. And then addressing that. Um, so I actually, uh, I did a blog article some time ago and I called it, uh, the top nine mistakes companies make with reliability engineers. And the back end of that, I did a little process, um, which sort of describes what I'm talking about there. You know, start with understanding what that value mode is and then work out whether your current maintenance program should have picked it up or not, you know. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, what do you think the, like with both of those examples, like we've picked up the failure or we should have picked it up on our PM, but we didn't do anything about it. Like what's, what do you think the gap is with, like where, where's that information going? Why is nobody doing anything about that, that information? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, maybe it's confusion about who's responsible to, to action it. Um, Maybe that maybe in the the wire rope one, then there may have been, it may have been okay to put some limits on there, acceptable limits or something. I, th I think there's probably a multitude of reasons for that, but in order to overcome that problem, uh, there needs to be this discussion in the in the teams. Hey guys, um, we actually picked this up, we didn't action it. Get everyone on the same page around whose responsibility it is to action it and get that agreement we call the working agreement within the team and um yeah get people overcome that it's 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 a very simple thing once everyone knows it exists you know it's not difficult to to make sure someone opens up defects or, or work <laughs> orders to correct defects that you find in maintenance that's the goal right <laughs> yeah yeah so i guess one thing but you know I, I've, I've seen rob sorry mate i've seen that when people get this right their plan availability and reliability just improves out of sight, just get people, you know, uh, actioning these types of things. Now, now I think, you know, people are listening. Obviously, my, my audience, they're very reliability engineer focused. And maybe they're thinking like this one is this sounds too, too good to be true. And, the, and maybe the other thing is that they're thinking that if it becomes too easy, maybe they work themselves out of a job. Like, how does that, like, maybe, do you think that that's part of it? Like, people want a complicated answer so then they can feel good about themselves? Uh, uh, I don't I don't really think that. I think that, you know, people want to work in an environment where the plant performs well, the availability is good, the reliability is good, and, and everyone, you know, feels like a winner, right, to be part of that team. People want to be part of a winning team or a successful team. I, I think that I don't really think they're worried about working themselves out of a job. In mining, one of the problems that I see is the reliability engineers come through that role and then on to the next role all the time. So you've got this continual churn and it takes a, a, a year for these guys to really start to understand the machines and start to add value and next minute they're gone on to a 
you know, they're just starting to do some really good stuff after two years and then they've gone on to their next promotion. So <laughs> I think that if they were able to get really good results and and um, help improve that culture so that the reliability improvement is sustainable and, and you don't suffer these problems that you, you see with the, the churn of reliability engineers, um, you know, I think that would be a, a a positive thing so working yourself out of a role being a, a positive thing <laughs> hopefully into a new one that's pays more right <laughs> oh, for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely you know uh if your areas your machines that uh you're looking after are always improving great reliability um maybe you're going to get a promotion <laughs> Now, now, one thing I wanted to, to kind of touch on a little bit with you today is just mining in general. Like, we we talked a little bit about it with, I, I guess, last time. But where do you see some of the improvements in mining coming? Yeah, we we did um, talk about the you know technology and all of those sort of things, which are absolutely coming and and going to continue to to help. Um, but what I've seen is that I know a business that's got really great, uh, big data analytics and, uh, they do that analytics, uh, centrally. So predictive diagnostics, all of that. They're one of the best mining companies in that space. Um, and we've worked with a couple of, or several of their sites actually, but whilst the analytics is done centrally, um, what I saw across two of their sites was the exact same fleet of trucks um, in one site performing really well, consistent 92% availability, no problems at all, not breaking down all the time. And then the other site, exact same type of truck, same centralized analytics, they had like 72, 73% availability. And what was the difference? It was the cultural aspects. So, you know, I think that the the, the good miners uh, that that get good performance out of their assets really get this culture and the basics right first, and that'll get them up to ninety percent availability. And then the the predictive analytics and those sort of things can get you from there to ninety two, ninety three. So, I, I really think that those advances are going to help but they're not going to help businesses that don't get that cultural side of it right first and just talking from what i've seen in the industry you know no i i couldn't agree more and i think i've like i've seen that in multiple places and i think the the big thing is that like that feedback process is still there and someone's still like even if you have like an artificial intelligence you know algorithm and it tells you something's going to break, like someone actually still has to go out there and fix that defect. And if they're not doing it in, in the right way, they'll just have to go out and fix it again, right? So it's it's still that process, that maintenance process. It still happens and the culture is still a huge part of that. Absolutely, mate. And, you know, until we get robots that do maintenance work and do it perfectly every time, um, we're, we're going to have this problem. So we really need to get this uh, this culture around doing great quality maintenance um, embedded in our organisations. 
I've kind of been bouncing around in my head over the last probably three or four months is is this this thing where reliability people, it seems like we don't think about the impact of our projects on others. And like, I'll give you a few examples. So one example is like, we're implementing a new CMMS. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to the mechanics and we're going to say, hey, in, in addition to doing all the work that you have to do, we want you to also put in all this information into this new CMMS, but we still expect you to do that work in the same amount of time. And then like another example for that is, you know, you have to send a guy and he has to be part of my RCM and maybe we're adding checks to the PM or we're doing this, but we're not giving them more time. Like, where do you see that that disconnect between the reliability people and like their impact on others? Yeah, I think um, from my perspective, it's about the reliability people being part of that team and working on how they can help so you know if 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 we get this disconnection between reliability and they're working in a totally different team um that's where you get these ideas to hey we need more data and reliability engineers they always need more data right Um, (laughs) (laughs) because you look at the the data in the system it doesn't tell them the exact failure mode and um, you know, you, to solve a problem, you need to know the exact failure mode. So they're always looking to see that data in the system. Yet, if they had a great relationship with the guys, they would know, and they were talking to them all the time, day in day out. They would know exactly what those failure modes were. So um, that that example that you used there, I know that years ago, I, I decided that you. You're never going to get exact data and until we get CWMS systems to contain all of the failure modes and the guys um, select the actual failure mode that it was, um, then we're just going to capture codes and all that sort of stuff. It's never going to tell us exactly what we need to know to solve the problem. And um, so I really think that just getting that communication would probably avoid some of these projects the need for it because the tradies would go oh, what are you doing that for you know here's an, another way and getting that communication that that teamwork going is the way to overcome it rather than working in your own silo sort of thing and, and i've i've been talking about these failure modes what i'm what i mean by that is i, I went to another site and they had a problem with sensors like proximity sensors across the plant and there was this perception that the type of proximity switch that they were using needed to be changed to a better quality. So they're going through this improvement project and all this sort of stuff. So I just went out on, on several breakdowns related to proxes. And I found that the first one I went to was the, the prox wasn't working because it was installed incorrectly. The head of it was too close to the base metal. So it was activating when it shouldn't have been. Um, so to fix that, uh, it's it's not about changing the type of procs. You need to have a proper installation procedure um, and make people aware that there's a process to install these. The other one that I went to, it was the J box on the cable had the gland wasn't tight and it had water ingress which got into the cable. So again, it's had nothing to do with the proximity. 
So the only guys who know that stuff are, are the tradies who went out there and, and fixed it, you know what I mean? So that's the type of data and stuff we're not going to see in the system. That's where we need to be talking and working as one team. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's something that, you know, we don't even ask for on the work orders either. And the really the, the only place to find it is go out and talk to the guy who did the maintenance and they'll know the answers. I always, I always joke that reliability people, we don't know anything. We just facilitate the answers. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Rob, how many times have you seen people spend a lot of time and effort creating a, an FMEA or RCM process to develop a strategy or a set of tactics for a machine or plant? And then all of those, all of those failure modes that they came up with, then no one continues to develop that, that database of failure modes. They just die off. And, and like when you read Mowbray's book, right? It's all about a living system. So feeding those failure modes back and building up this um, proper actual failure mode database is the only way we're going to um, remove some of the, the human element from it, if you, if you know what I mean. And I think in, I don't know the airline industry, but I think that's what they've done uh, very well over many years. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about airlines either, but I do think that, I mean, I the last few weeks at work, I've been digging through thousands of work orders um, and you do see it, like you do see people putting in failure mode information and you do see, but there's definitely, I do think that there is a lack of, that, that loop doesn't typically close too well. Um, just I've never, I don't think I've really ever seen one where I would be confident that that continuous improvement is happening, at least in the CMMS world. Yeah, no, definitely not. And um, yeah, it's people are still talking about codes, you know, failure codes. And we've been doing that for 30 years and it really isn't, it really isn't of much value. I've never seen codes that are, really going to tell us too much we really in this day and age we should be capturing the failure modes and 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 identifying which failure mode has exhibited (laughs) yeah i yeah i mean if 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 we keep on the same road we're on um we're not going to get too far (laughs) yeah and i've um done some work uh around using text analytics in, in uh, work order data to, to try and identify failure modes <clears throat> and with a, some uh, at best sort of semi-successfully, you know, like um, a lot of the text that you see in, in work orders, there's a lot of uh, acronyms, bad spellings, nicknames. It's really hard to, to derive proper failure modes from that text analysis yeah i know i agree and like i'm doing it the old-fashioned way and it's still hard i can barely distinguish electrical versus mechanical (laughs) yeah 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 so when i use cws data i go i use it to go okay at best you're going to find which is the area of the plant that you should focus on you know get your top five right from now on anything in that top five we're going to investigate to the failure mode and make sure we know exactly how to solve it um, and eliminate it. And then 
then you can use that same learning. I call it extrapolate that learning or turbocharge that learning and um, think about where else this, that learning would apply. Love it. Love it. And, and for everyone listening, write that down or clip that out and, and just listen to it over and over. And that, that'll help you save millions of dollars for your company. So, Gerard, one, one question I wanted to ask you. I got this one from Ryan Chan, and he asked it on his podcast. What's something that you want people to know about reliability or maintenance that they don't already know? Um, I suppose in terms of reliability in an operating environment like this, so a, a, a place that's been operating for a while, uh, I th- people probably know this, but I don't know why they don't do it. Um, and that is that redesign is the absolute last thing you do. Understand the failure modes and, and know how to manage them. So even if something's breaking down every week, you can manage that failure mode and stop it from breaking down every week just by having a scheduled event every few days or, or whatever to, to manage something. So if you're going to make a decision to redesign that, then you've got to think about what failure mode you're going to design in um, and all of, all of those sort of things. So in my mind, it's, it's really just understand the failure modes and manage them rather than trying to design them out all the time. Yeah, back to basics. It's, it's, you know, we, we talk about getting complicated a lot. I think we get a little bit complicated, but it's really just like defining functions and then failure modes it's it's pretty simple stuff like i don't know why we we overcomplicate things but <laughs> yeah you know and and i think it's um that mowbray wrote about it right the theories there um it's just about how we implement that and, and rcm is not a, a project it's not something that you go out and do today and everything's going to be fixed up tomorrow it's a it's a way of thinking about how machines fail and how to prevent them from failing and it should be just understood that that's how we we think about failures and how we manage them and it's got to be part of the culture that that's the way we 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 you know work every day day in day out I love it. Now, now, Gerard, the last question I got for you before we get you out of here, you mentioned John Mowbray's RCM book a few times. Like, do you, where else do you go to learn reliability or what other books do you like? Um, look, I, I think in terms of reliability, that's my Bible. That's my go-to. Um, I think when you internalize and understand the, the the concepts inside that book and just implement them day in day out you know that, that that's what it's about um maybe other books on um working with people and uh how to win friends and influence people something like that, <laughs> you know, that they might help in the reliability world because it's all about um they're working with people to, to get the end, the end result in our business. If anyone starts, we give them a copy of Mowbray's book and uh, that's the Bible. So, yeah, I don't really have any other other um, go-to books or, or documents other than that, really. 
Yeah, I do. I mean, I I do recommend absolutely both those books. Um, I have getting I have been getting into some sales stuff lately, and it's 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 really interesting. And I I do think there's a lot that we as reliability professionals can use from them. I mean, a lot of it's like finding pain points and then working your solution to find those pain points. And you can use that not only like, are you, do you have to sell a product, but you're selling reliability internally at your own company. And there's a lot you can use there that I think we miss because we, we, you know, we say, Hey, well, I'm an engineer. I don't need to know sales. Um, but that's another story for another day. Yeah, absolutely. I've been through that journey myself, the, the sales journey <laughs> and understanding those principles is probably something that I'm still learning. I'm still not very good at it. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> so Gerard, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show again. Now, do you have anything to plug? Like obviously people listening, they should go to simplifyingminingmaintenance.com and order a copy of your book, or they can also find it on Amazon. They should also check out Bluefield Asset Management. Are you going to be at any conferences or do you have anything else that they should check out? Uh, I haven't got any conferences or any or anything planned yet, but um, on, on our site, um, Bluefield, we've, we've got a blog there and I, I really recommend you know to, to read the, the blog article that I wrote, um, the top nine mistakes companies make with reliability engineers. Um, and I will have coming out in the next couple of months uh, like an online training program called Simplifying Reliability. Um, so it will be available as a, as a, a, a course that people can do online. I'm happy to, to share that and when, it, when it comes out. But in, in really I'm not trying to... to plug anything or or sell books or anything like that i really just want to see the mining industry improving um reliability and and getting the culture right and really getting some great results out there and i and i do see that you know um around the ridges i have seen some improvements over the last few years people are really starting to get the basics right but there's still a long way to go Absolutely. And, and when that course comes out, definitely, definitely tag me in the post or shoot me the, a message about it and I'll put it out for everyone. Um, definitely love to share that. And I think that, you know, it's something like we talked about today, like it's, it's, there's a lot of fundamental basics that we're missing. And if it's an education problem, well, we're talking about it. So there's, there's yeah. no excuses anymore. <laughs> No, absolutely, Rob. And, and I have been playing around with a, a bit of a po- podcast, sort of taking your lead there. I, I um, have started a – I've got a series of about five or six podcasts out there now called Bluefield 30 in 30, which is 30 years' experience in 30 minutes where I'm just trying to capture the knowledge of um, veterans that have been in the industry for 30 years and, and um, trying to uh, sort of – summarize i suppose that 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 experience they've got and find out what pops out and what's consistent and and what i have seen there um from the guys that i've spoken to so far is that you know focusing on doing good quality maintenance execution is the place to start awesome 
Yeah, give me another 20 years and I'll come on your show. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Gerard, I, I appreciate you joining us today. Everyone who's... No worries, who's, Rob. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and everyone who's listening, I, I appreciate you listening. I hope you, I hope you took away some good tips there. There was a few good tips there that that Gerard mentioned that you should definitely re-listen to. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Gabriel.